Uh, good morning and welcome to the Spirit of Friendship uh, Chapel. Uh, due to COVID last year um, means there are half of our student body has not experienced uh, this chapel and this award. Um, and I know some of you have asked what is the Spirit of Friendship um, and what is this award in this chapel about? Um, just over 30 years ago, the Bates family and the Covenant College community experienced a, uh, a deep tragedy. And in the aftermath of that tragedy, which John is going to talk about in a few minutes ago, um, the, the college community and the Bates family walked together um, in sadness and in pain, but also in the hope and joy and faithfulness of the Lord. Um, and in the midst of that tragedy, um, what came out of it was deep gratitude um, in the Bates family in wanting to give back to a community that had loved them and had walked with them well. So for uh, the last 28 years, uh, there's been a Spirit of Friendship Award, an award that's uh, given to a student who uh, resembles and um, uh, characterizes the love and the friendship of our Savior Jesus. Um, so in a few minutes, uh, John Bates is going to come up and speak, and we're going to uh, give an award to a student. Um, but what has struck me over the years is this. Um, I've watched this happen now for eight years. And when we talk about this spirit of friendship and the love of Jesus, um, it's no, nowhere more clearly exhibited um, on this day than in the example of the Bates family themselves. Um, when we talk about the love of Jesus and we talk about wanting to give out of tragedy, that is the love of Christ. Um, when Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, was murdered. Um, Jesus rode out onto the middle of a lake um, in, in a boat. And then when he looked in and he saw the people in their need, uh, scripture says that he rode in and he had compassion on them and he healed them and cared for them. That is the compassion and the love that compels the Bates family. Now I know it can be kind of odd when you have a whole group of people sitting up here, right, that you guys don't know but here are just a couple of things to know. Uh, the Bates family are friends that you didn't know that you have. And they are champions that you didn't know that you needed. And they're champions because they love you. They may not know every single one of you by name. They may not recognize every one of you by face. But they love you with words that are hard, hard to describe because you are the covenant community. What you represent to them in their lives and what you represent in the kingdom of God. So we, again, get to give you great and deep thanks. Thanks for being here, and thanks for your very faithful love that I think so clearly shows Jesus and his love for us. Uh, so now, <clears throat> John Bates is going to come and speak to us. John and his wife Donna graduated uh, from Covenant College in 1988. Uh, John served in the development uh, office for 10 years, uh, worked with every tribe's ministry, um, currently is with Bulwark Ventures. And if you ask him what he does, he'll say, and we kind of go where the Lord takes us. And the Lord has brought him here today. So please give a warm Scots welcome to John Bates. In 2012, Victor Hugo's novel, Les Miserables, was adopted into a screenplay. It was a star-studded film, Hugh Jackman, Russell Crowe, the talented Anne Hathaway. 
It was a must-see film, and my wife and I snuck out for an impromptu date night to catch the matinee. As we were uh, watching the previews, a colleague of mine here at Covenant entered into the dark theater. He and his wife sat next to me and uh, exchanged some pleasantries, and the film started. If you're familiar with the film, Anne Hathaway's character, Fontaine, lives this iconic tragedy life in the film. Early on, she lives the idyllic life, full of luxury and romance and youthful bliss without giving thought to the consequences of her actions. But soon she finds her thrust into a catalytic rune. At the apex of Fontaine's destruction, she sings, I dreamed a dream, and won the Oscar that year for her role. As you would imagine, it was an intense emotional expression of the realization that the ideal life that she once dreamed was gone. Although her fate was the result of her consequences, for her own actions, you couldn't help but feel the pains of such loss. I did everything I could to fight back the tears, and I was doing a great job until Brian Fickert, sitting next to me, started sobbing like a baby. <laughs> well, I lost it. Uh, we were a hot mess. And, uh, but this day, I still think fondly of Brian and me having a tender moment together. Just like Fontaine, though, we all have dreams. I remember the dreams of my senior year here at Covenant in the early 1988s. It was just a few short weeks before I graduated. My SIP had been graded and accepted. I had secured a job and uh, leased a house on the mountain. My wife, uh, Donna, who was my girlfriend at the time, we were in serious talks, uh, more like negotiations about the next step of our relationship. My brother Danny lived on the mountain. He was doing well in his pursuit of becoming an electrical engineer in Chattanooga. He had just made the dean's list. He was talking marriage with his girlfriend, Tracy, which happened to be my girlfriend's roommate. Danny and Tracy, Donna and myself, we enjoyed each other. We had fun together. We were excited about the life that we were about to experience post-covenant. On April the 15th, 33 years ago last night, the unthinkable happened. Tracy found Danny dead at his apartment. He had died as a result of a faulty jack while he was working on his Ford Bronco. I dreamed a dream of what life would be. And suddenly that dream had died in me. As well as for Tracy, my dad, and my mom, and others. This was the first real tragedy that I had ever faced. Sure, I had disappointments and setbacks and failures, events that I thought was tragic, but nothing like this. The scale had shifted and changed for me. And I had to do some soul searching, like many of you. I'd been raised in the church, had attended Christian high schools, and now finished four years at Covenant. I felt I had a firm grasp of various points of theology, but I never once had grappled with the theology of suffering and a worldview which was being shaped 
in me as I was being launched from this mountain. Had a serious blind spot. Traumatic pause. And, and this soul-searching question, so we're forming all in my mind, why would God, who I believe is all-powerful, all-loving, holy, righteous, and good, do this to me, his child? It's a serious question that many people who are facing trials ask. Why is God doing this to me? Where do bad things, trials, tragedies in my life come from? Is God, in fact, doing this to me? When I look at God's word and believe that it's true, realize we're asking the wrong question. It's not that God is doing this to us. He's actually doing these things for us. So then the question really becomes, why does a God who I believe is all-powerful, all-loving, holy, righteous, and good, do these seemingly terrible things for me, his child? The simple answer is just that. He is all-powerful, all-loving, holy, righteous, and good, and sovereign all the time in every situation that he puts us in. Trials, persecution, tragedies and good times and bad times, he is the same. Romans 8.28 tells us all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. At the point of time when Danny died, I never really planned anything bad happening to me. The dream I dreamed of what life would be, the life was totally void of anything bad. And I believe you may be envisioning life the same way. It's natural for us not to wish bad or to plan for bad things to happen. But I want to point out some real truths of Scripture. As a child of an all-powerful, all-loving, holy, righteous, and good God, you will not escape adversity and hardships in life Jesus himself says in John 16, 3, you will have sufferings in this world. You're not immune simply because you're a believer. In fact, you may be even more prone to things to happen. And I hope that we'll see it's not as scary as it seems on the surface. Because as a child of God, he is for you and he's not against you. How do we know this? It's simply by looking at the character of God. In God's word throughout his redemptive history, we see an attribute of God that's important for us to take a look as we try to grasp the reality of the theology of suffering. That attribute is an indescribable loving kindness of God. The Jewish people used the, the, the Hebrew word chesed, you have to say it like this, chesed. If you don't cough up a lung or spit on somebody, the rabbi's going to get mad at you. It's chesed. In fact, there's over, it's indescribable. It's, there's over 169 different ways that the English has tried to translate this word. 
because it's an expression of the concepts of ideals and, 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 and who God is. It's rooted in God's generosity, love, and enduring commitment. Hesed is an expression of the constant, ever faithful, relentless, constantly pursuing, lavish, extravagant, unrestrained, furious love of God our Father. Psalms 136 repeats over and over and over again, his loving kindness, chesed, endures forever. In fact, the word chesed is in the scriptures over 248 times. Michael Card in his recent book, Inexpressible Chesed, The Mystery of God's Loving Kindness, he says that chesed is probably one of the most important words in the Hebrew scripture. I love this. If you are a believer, you are the object of God's ever-loving kindness, his chesed. It's easy to see and understand chesed in a beautiful sunny day, which I wish we were, when you land a good job or when you pass all your exams with flying collars or when you find that somebody special. But what about when trials do come and everything in your life seems dark and gray and hopeless? How can sickness, calamity, and even death be God's loving kindness? Let's look at some of the examples. I think of Joseph. If you remember the story, he was chastised by his brothers, betrayed and sold into slavery. His father, Jacob, tricked into believing he was dead and never searching for him. You talk about a dysfunctional family. And then while a slave, Joseph is falsely accused of sexual harassment by his boss's wife. But God, in his loving kindness, he uses all these trials to prepare Joseph to become second in command in Egypt paving the way for him ultimately preserving the lineage and promised Messiah. When Joseph reveals his brother, uh, when he reveals to him that who he was and his true identity, he says, what you meant is evil against me. God has meant it for good. I think of David. David gives us another beautiful picture of Hasid in Psalm 23. The good shepherd cares for his sheep by providing safety, finding choice pastures for uh, which to eat, and calm waters from which to drink. He knows what's best for his sheep, and at one point, he needs to lead them to a better pasture. They go through the valley of the shadow of death to get there. This is a scary place, fraught with danger. The shepherd could choose not to go. But the sheep would miss out on needed nutrients. Or he could send them on their way to fend for themselves. But does he do that? No. He walks the valley with them. All the while guiding, protecting, and supplying. So it is with our chesed God. He has a wonderful destination planned for us. But the journey is often full of difficulties and pain. He never leaves us or forsakes us. And when he brings us safely to the other side, our cup runneth over. 
A third example is found in Matthew 14. After feeding the 5,000, Jesus urges his disciples to get in a boat and go on without him. Jesus would meet them on the other side. We get the text that the disciples did what God had instructed them to do. They obeyed him. They got into the boat and set across the sea right into a windstorm. The waves were beating against the boat. One text says that the waves tormented him. The wind was howling against him, halting all forward motion, causing them to be dead in the water. They were scared and tired and in the middle of chaos. Yet they were absolutely in the middle of God's will. As they were struggling throughout the night, and verse 25 tells us it's like three or to six o'clock in the morning, they look out on the water and believe they see a ghost. So not only have they been beaten up by the wind and waves, now they think they're hallucinating. The last person they would expect to see in the middle of the sea is Jesus. So they cried out in fear. And Jesus answered, take heart, be of good cheer. And he declares, get this, it is I. It's translated the great I am, which is Yahweh, the covenant-keeping name of God. I am with you. Don't be afraid. By saying that he is the great I am, he's declaring it is I the one that has absolute authority over creation. I can raise the dead, heal the sick, feed the 5,000 with next to nothing. I can walk on water and calm the sea by stopping the winds of the wave. I have absolutely authority over your well-being. I have thrust you in the midst of the storm, but do not be afraid, for I am is with you. My friends, this is a hope that we have in this passage. We can do everything that we discern God is calling us to do and yet find ourselves in the middle of the storm. We can be beaten down, worn out emotionally and spiritually and physically. And the great I am is saying, I have you where I need you. Don't be afraid. The great I am is with you. Of course, we can't talk about this passage uh, without a special note to Peter's role in the story. Peter sees Jesus walking on the water and is so enthralled that he asks Jesus if he could join him. And Jesus says, come on. Peter jumps out and starts walking towards him on the water. All is going well until Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus. He becomes frightened by the wind and begins to sink. In desperation, he calls out, Lord, save me. And we see Jesus immediately, without hesitation, reach down and grab hold of Peter and say, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? They got in the boat, the wind ceased, and they worshiped him and declared, You are the Son of God. Although the disciples had just witnessed Jesus feed 5,000 people with five loaves and uh, two fish, it just didn't click who Jesus really is. It took a near-death experience on the sea for them to realize that Jesus is the Son of God. 
Just like his disciples, we are often hard-hearted and hard-headed, and we don't really see the fullness of who God is in all his attributes. So in his chesed, his loving kindness, he brings trials, difficulties into our lives that help us know him in deeper way and grow our trust for him. James says it this way in chapter 1, verses 2 and 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And finally, we find the ultimate display of God's everlasting loving kindness captured in Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his chesed in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God the Father sends his own son to earth, who then takes our punishment so that we can call, be called the children of God. Simply amazing. Just like when I was a student, there are some here today that, who are not in Christ. God is a just God. And sin cannot and will not go unpunished. Without Christ, the punishment for our sin is still coming to you. But the good news is that you can be reconciled to a just and holy God. He has provided a way for salvation for you through his son, Jesus, who has already endured the wrath of God. Cry out to him right now, just like Peter did, and he will save you. Seek him and he will be fine. He is mighty to save. Then you too will be the object of God's indescribable loving kindness of a heavenly father. Believer scripture shows us that God uses trials and tribulations as vehicles of his transforming grace. God constantly is sanctifying you and me so that we become more like the image of Christ. We are being refined through trials. Who, with Christ, who is our Redeemer and propitiation for our sin? He bore the wrath of God once and for all. So the matter of why does God do this to me? It's settled in Christ. For the the believer, the sin debt was satisfied by Christ's sacrificial death on the cross once and for all. There is no need for God to punish you more. It's settled on Calvary. You are secured. His chesed. So I hope you can bring, begin to see that the trials you will face for, are for your good. And it will be for God's glory. No, no matter what you face in this life, the great I am is with you. As Jesus says, in this world you will have troubles, but be of good courage. I have overcome the world. Danny's death was brutal, to say the least, for me and my family. And at that moment, it was hard to see 
the indescribable loving kindness of God. But over the years, as the storm has ceased and the good shepherd took us out of the valley of the shadow of death that allowed us to rest by restoring waters, I look back down that path and see how God was showing me his loving kindness and continues to show us his hessed love for us today. For me, being at covenant for four years prior to Danny's death, God was caring for me in a place and in a community that helped me survive the last three weeks of my covenant experience. The kindness that my friends showed me set an example for how I can show chesed to others. For Tracy, my brother's girlfriend, God provided her with a godly husband. And he accepts this unique relationship that we have with her. Through God's kindness, they continue to be a vital part of our family. My parents, knowing all too well the pains of losing a child, can now relate to those others in a way that only they can. They can help those starting down that journey to keep their eyes on Jesus during the storm. And just the fact that we're here today, never dreaming that Danny's death would allow us to come back to covenant and be part of this spirit of friendship for over two decades. To remind us that life is more, and it is a vapor. And it's not all about us. We get to glorify God because he is worthy of all glory. And in the process of glorifying God, we will have hardships. But the great I am is with us and for us. Chesed. Amen. I want to leave you with this benediction. It comes from Romans 8, 38, 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you. I want to introduce my son, Logan, uh, to present uh, the spirit of friendship. Matthew 5, 16 states, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The Spirit of Friendship Award is not an award to boast one's self-esteem or an attempt to put man on a pedestal. It is an award to let one know that he or she is recognized as a reflection of light, light that is fueled by God alone. This award is a tribute to our heritage of Christian brotherhood a brotherhood of believers joined together by the adoption of our Heavenly Father. The Spirit of Friendship Award was founded through the sting of death, yet it is an award that celebrates the victory of Christ over death. When my uncle Danny was killed on this mountain three weeks before my dad's graduation, John was ushered to the throne of mercy by people who put their faith into practice. They showed him compassion when he was hurting, 
His friends were strong when he was weak. They were peace and comfort in the midst of his storm. They were his friends, and they showed him love. The Spirit of Friendship Award is a way for our family to say thank you to a group of people who have moved on from covenant and to recognize that that same love still exists here in this place. This love is manifested through individuals who set themselves apart even on this campus. This award goes to a person who best demonstrates the essence of what it means to be a light in this world, who reflects Christ's love by meeting the needs of those around them, a true friend. We recognize him or her through the Spirit of Friendship Award, which is funded by the Danny Leslie Bates Memorial Scholarship Fund. Over the years, our family, friends, and Covenant alumni have contributed to this endowment. So on behalf of my family and memory of my uncle, Danny Leslie Bates, I am honored to present this year's Spirit of Friendship Award to Cassie Wood. Now we're going to hear a few words from Cassie. Nice. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. Okay. No. <laughs> it sounds like you might want to say a few no, words. Good. I appreciate this. I, I do want to say it's a joy to meet you and to say thank you. And, uh, and, and my heart overwhelms every time we get to do this because you, you have been recognized as somebody who just makes covenant what I think covenant is all about. And so on behalf of my family and stuff, I want to say thank you. And for the people who were here that I never got to say thank you enough, thank you. And in this, the word, we're, we're, it's $5,000 this year to keep you here, to keep doing what you're doing and be part of this community. And the flowers are really a thank for your niece. Do you have a new niece? I do. Is she here? She's not. She's not? South Carolina. Is she? Where are they? Oh, they were hiding. They're here. So we're going to have lunch together and stuff. So. 